three, three, two, two, one. one. It's time for the show. Action. You're listening to the It's My Time podcast, a recording of the experiences, past and present, of everyday people. And now, here's your host, the one and only. Asher Chua. Well, let me just start it like this. Who do you say you are? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> I would say I am a very um, strong, creative black woman, um, a writer, a a mother, a friend, a sister, um, and, and an all around dreamer. I sometimes I, I sit and I like when people really ask me what I do, I, I want to say I dream for a living. But <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 how I would describe myself. Pretty cool. So um, what part of the country are you from? Born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, still live in the area. I live in a very small suburb right outside of the city. Like literally the city is across the street. Um, but born and raised in Detroit. Um, yeah, that's where I'm from. And I, I know I, I met you through, um, I guess we call it, what, a mastermind group or a mutual group at university? Yeah, you call it mastermind. And that, what was that, like, two years ago? Three years ago. I, so I've been in, it was three years for me this July. So, yeah, three, it was three years ago, probably. And it's funny because a lot of the people that I've been interviewing for this have been in Breathe University for short because um, a lot of people are like of different backgrounds. Majority are in like the entrepreneur space. So I just keep finding everyone that I'm meeting within the group is like super interesting. They're doing interesting things. Like you say, you dream for a living, but like that doesn't mean you just sit around and daydream. Like you're actually creating and producing stuff. Right. And I think I've maybe run into a little bit of what you've written before. You do a blog. Or, like, or what do you do with your writing? Um, so there are a couple different categories of the, the type of writing I do. Um, I do have my own stuff that I publish on Medium from time to time. Okay. It, it should be a whole lot more consistent, but it hasn't been lately. Um, I do ghostwriting projects for clients um, as well as email marketing and copywriting. So you've probably read uh, quite a bit of things that I've written or had something to do with it in some way, form, or fashion. Okay. So do you do, like, you do a lot of outsourcing work, just, like, whoever needs it? Uh, when you say outsourcing, meaning do I outsource projects that I get? No, like, do do people come to you? Um, uh, was it, I'm thinking of, like, zip recruiters say, if, like, there's a project that somebody needs done, and they put it out there, like, you're able to grab it and say, okay, like, I can do that, like, I can ghostwrite for you. Um, so, no, my ghostwriting clients are, are generally are people who who know that I do it and it's it's kind of a word of mouth thing I don't really I don't promote that service at all actually um the people who I've done ghostwriting projects for and the clients that I have now it was you know it was I don't want to call it like a secret but it's it's just something I don't promote because for one it's um it's time consuming for two it's expensive it's it's not cheap for, for me to ghostwrite a project so generally the people who come to me for that are you know it's, it's pretty much referral word of mouth, but they, they know, you know, what the deal is. Okay. And that, is that something you've been doing for a long time or like, how'd you get it? Um, this is probably two years now. I, my first project was last year, actually, last year um, with, with Eve's mom. That well, her project was a little bit different, but after I did that project, I started actually doing um, like real, real ghostwriting. But her project was the first book project that I ever worked on. 
and it it was pretty cool. She had the meat of the book done, but we had to come in and and um you know make it sweet, so to speak. I had to come in rather, not we. Okay. So is that so? I guess if anybody's watching this, you wouldn't want them like hitting you up like, "Hey, can you help me write my book?" Or is that something? No, they they can. <laughs> it's it's gotcha. it's different. So I I have different tiers to it now. Um, there's different different levels of of ghostwriting um, or book editing, if you want to call it that. Once again, it's a service I don't promote because it's generally people who know that I do that. They ask me. Um, right now, my agency is focused mainly on email marketing and copywriting, but we do offer ghostwriting and and editing services. Okay, and you're, you said you're. I got it right. So like uh, you work with a company or you have like an agency that you created yourself? So last year I created um I created my LLC, which is Dropout Media. And the word dropout comes from well, that was about three years ago. I created a podcast called the Drop College Dropout Podcast where I interviewed successful people who didn't have a college degree. Um I'm a college dropout, a very proud one. So I just kind of kept it going. I created Dropout Media as, as an LLC to work as, a, as an entrepreneur. And earlier this year, I made the decision to go ahead and launch it as my, my very own um, agency. So as an agency, we're a digital marketing agency with a niche focus on the writing aspect. So we write all the marketing materials that make people money. So that's going to be emails. That's going to be um, website language. It's going to be ads. Um, it, at some point for some clients, it turns into the book. So that's how, that's where all of that comes from. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's, it seems like you said you just started it last year. So do you have like a fast track way that you went about doing it? or? Like uh, so I like to say I was kind of pushed. Well, I don't want to use the term push. So I had to make a decision in March of 2018 to stay at my job and only see my kids one to two days a week or to take a leap of faith and really go forward with what I was already doing on the side anyway and to really start operating in my gift. And I um I chose to leave. Like I said, I could have stayed, but I have two children, two boys, and I just wasn't willing to give my keep giving my job sixty to seventy hours a week and only give my kids one or two days, which I probably was gonna be exhausted those one or two days. So I left um, Chrysler. I was there for five years, worked as a team leader, making $25 an hour, wasn't doing a whole lot of work, uh, taking home, shoot, anywhere from 1000 to $1,200 a week after taxes. You know, pretty, pretty de- good life, decent life. <laughs> um, yeah, and I left March 2018. So this March 2020 will be two years. Uh, the first couple of months, it was, I didn't even know what I was supposed to be doing. Like I like legit did not know what I was supposed to be doing. I had projects going, but I didn't have the structure. If I could go back mm-hmm. and change anything that I did right after I left, I would have hired a coach immediately. Like immediately I would have hired a coach. Um, yeah, I didn't join outside of Breathe University. I didn't join a coaching program until June. I joined Sleepless Nights. And then August, I hired my first um, business coach. But I think if I would have did that last March, I would be way further than I am now. But I'm on the right track now, and that's all that matters. So then, I guess, like I was assuming earlier, it wasn't just like a smooth transition, at least. Oh, know. no. 
Okay. No, 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 no. Post where it was just like, this isn't working anymore. I need to do something different. Like I care about yeah. my kids more than like trying to maintain this this job and like maintain the income and things like that coming in with it. Absolutely. Like I I, I had a plan to leave 2019, 20 or 2020. That was my plan, but it just didn't work out that way. Um, yeah, it just didn't. That's pretty cool. So I, I guess uh, one thing I, I found is funny is that as I am surrounded more and more by entrepreneurs, and I guess I could say this is like an entrepreneurship venture for me to launch a podcast where like, I thought about it before. And I, I, it kind of what sparked the interest in me was seeing other people doing it and mm-hmm. just how well they did it. People like Brian, um, people like um, E.T., Eric Thomas, um, C.J., Carl, like the Secret to Success podcast they have, uh, Joe Rogan. Like just mm-hmm. seeing these guys kind of like do their own thing in their lane was like, okay, that, that sounds really cool. Like you get to sit down and talk to people or they impart people with their knowledge. And um, the question I'm, I'm getting at is that from joining Breathe University, I saw that I was surrounded by creative people where me, I work in the engineering space, like construction engineering. And a lot of what we do, it's like predetermined, but have a lot of problem solving on the fly. So um, for you, was it a attractive to get in and develop your own thing like create your agency was that something very attractive to you from like the outside land and if well let me just stop there let you um was was it attract i will say this i remember like vividly as a kid um i i always somewhat wanted to work for myself or create or if i or even if i didn't work for myself i always wanted to be a part of something that that was different I've never been a cookie cutter type individual, like never, not like, not even as a kid. My, my dad would tell you, my, my siblings will tell you, my friends that I grew up, I've never been a cookie cutter person. Um, I, I can honestly say starting an agency was, was never on my mind at the beginning, but I don't know. I I guess it's something that God just kind of dropped dropped in my heart. What would what was really attractive to me was the the possibility of literally like creating my own destiny. Whatever that looked like. Whether that was working for a company or whether that was doing something on my own. That's what, what has always been attractive to me. Like literally creating my own destiny. Which I mean you you can do it working for someone else. It may be a little bit harder. Or you, it may take a little bit, a different type of guidance, but that that was what was most attractive to me. Not necessarily being able to say I'm an entrepreneur. It was more so saying that that I I create, my, I'm controlling my destiny. That's a, yeah, that's a big one, especially when you talk about um, living in America and kind of like pursuing the American dream, where it's mm-hmm. that you have this thing that's um, I would say advertiser perpetuated, which a lot of times I, I see it as there's always a positive and a negative to a lot of things where people can get bitter about, okay, um, I have this job. Like, there's a stigma. It's like corporate America. It's like this old dirty thing that just kind of sits in the corner, like it's leering at you. But I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> from my perspective, like I try not to, like, I hope I don't make that a narrative of mine. And I don't know if that's become a narrative for you, but um, at least for myself, I could, like, I see myself where I fit in the corporate world and i see like the importance of it where it's a structure that's been established to create jobs and to like develop projects per se but like you mentioned being able to have the time to control your like have the time with your children and control your destiny to where it's like okay here's something that i create that suits me and that i can be the driving force behind it. um like having done that is there anything 
well, I guess you did advise us as to what you would have already done differently. But now that you're creating your own thing, is there anything that you've been able to appreciate from being in a corporate structure and now like doing this yourself and having to kind of like put the systems in place to make it function, not only to fund you, but to uh, bring in clientele? So let me make sure I understand the question. Are you asking me what, if there's anything I treat that I, um, that I appreciate from having the experience in a corporate structure? Yes. Yes. Um, let me see. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely a lot of a lot of things I learned. So when I was at Chrysler, I, on, the, uh, your audio just cut out for a second. Your audio just cut out for a second. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe my internet's acting up. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Do, do you need me to start all the way over? Yes. Okay. So when I was working at Chrysler, I worked as a team leader. And as a team leader, I had a team of between 10 and 12 people. But I was on the union side, which for people who don't know, if you work for the big three, Chrysler, Ford, or GM, there's a union side of things, which means these are the individuals who are actually building the vehicles. And then there's the management side, which are the supervisors, um, area managers, HR, all that stuff. Historically, these two sides of people don't necessarily get along for various reasons. Um, the one thing that I appreciate the most from the experience was learning how to communicate with people at different levels. So I had my team who, from the outside looking in, I'm supposed to be on their side no matter what. Even if they mess up, based on the way the union is structured and what people believe, I'm supposed to always have their back. But at the same time, I have my boss who I have to answer to if KPIs are off or if they mess up a specific part. And what I learned was to not make it me against him or us against them. I, I truly, truly learned how to communicate effectively with the management as well as with my team. I learned how to, even if somebody was in trouble or even if somebody did do something wrong, I learned how, I also learned how to make my team care a little bit more about what they're doing. When I became a team leader with that, you know, you're not supposed to stop the line. Like literally, if you stop the line in an automotive plant, it literally loses the company like something like $12,000 per second. Like it's that serious. So when you, when you say the line, what are you, what are you referring to? So in, a, in an automotive plant, there's an assembly line, which is how the vehicle is built. Where I work, we built the Dodge Ram. So if, if the line is not moving, that means there aren't any trucks coming off the end, which means the company's not making any money. So anytime the line would stop, it's like every second was worth like $12,000. Like it, they showed us the calculation. But one of the issues was from the union side, the people who were actually building the vehicle who weren't team leaders never knew like what the big deal was about stopping the line. Mm -hmm. So I was able to seriously like teach the people that worked on my team, like what everything meant and why everything was a problem. Well, not a problem, but why their specific role or job on the team was important. Cause before they didn't know, all they knew was this is your job, put this mm -hmm. screw on this thing, screw it down and make sure it's right. Whereas when I became their team leader, I'm like, let me show you why this is important. Because if you do this wrong, that means the person in front of you can't put their part on. And then the person after them can't do that. And like people seriously was like, I never knew that. Mm. And I learned that when from, a, especially in the team environment, and people say this all the time, people don't, don't 
what is it people don't know that you care today? What is it people don't care? Yeah, people don't think that. What is that. it? <laughs> people don't know that you, you care unless they know that you're there. I think that's it. Something like that. Yeah, but It's like you basically have to be present in order for people to know that you're really about what you're saying. Rather than exactly. just marking orders out. So I, I learned being, being a leader at the time that you really have to, um, for one, let people know that you care. And two, that people are more open to receive information as well as criticism and they're more open to being corrected when they really understand what it is that they're doing as well as when you really make them feel like they're a part of the team um and i was at the so when i became a team leader i was what 25 everybody on my team was older than me so can you imagine like this 25 year old chick telling this 40 year old man like you messing up like i had to i had to find a way to to learn how to communicate with each one of these people in an effective way, because at the end of the day, if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, I was going to get in trouble because I was the leader. So I'm, and don't get me wrong. The first, the first 90 days, it was tough. Like it was real tough, but you know, I started paying attention like, okay, that person, I may have to pull to the side. I can't say what I need to say in front of everybody. And then dealing with different supervisors, there are some supervisors who are rude, there are some who weren't. And it's like, okay, what was him? I know I need to send him an email. Him I could talk to in general. So that's that's probably the the one thing I appreciate. I really learned how to work on a team, within a team. I learned how to lead a team um, from that five years of experience. And it's crazy because even in my disc assessment on on the um, on the strengths page, well, the page where it shows your natural, like it says, my ability to work effectively and lead a team is like above average. And and I know that's where I got it from because it's the plant environment is already not ideal, but to be able to deal with people from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different ages, all different attitudes, and it, and I never used to let it get to me because yeah, right. I don't know. Is that I mean. I, I have an idea of what you're talking about because I worked at a fabrication plant briefly and I worked around construction workers, people that are out in the field working trades and they understand that they have the craftsmanship, but sometimes it's not communicated to them what it is that, why, why it is that they're doing what they're doing. Like they know the what, the how, but like the why usually isn't touched on. But dealing with the different attitudes and things, does it ever remind you of having extra kids at work versus like the kids that you have to deal with of your own? Oh. Not really, because I I th- I think be- at the time my my kids were younger. Mm-hmm. But at work, one of the things I realized with especially when you have like the, the difficult people is that a lot of times whatever like they bring their issues to work. So a lot of times they're being difficult not because they want to be difficult, but because they got something else going on. Right. And I mean it is just that's just is what it is on that end. I never. To be honest, in, in all five years, I really only had one really, really difficult guy. But by after probably about six to eight months, mm-hmm. he learned, like, it, it was really a respect thing. He felt like I wasn't capable to do the job because he was a guy, I was a girl, but whatever. Um, right. But we learned, we learned to respect each other. And he, like, literally told me he respected me because I didn't, I didn't let him bully me. He tried to. Like, he would do all type of crazy stuff. He would have somebody caught because... Another thing when you work in that environment, if somebody has to leave on your team and there's not an extra person, as a team leader, you now have to go get on the line. Mm-hmm. So he would try to do stuff like, you know, get sent to medical saying something was hurting because he believed that I, that I couldn't do his job, 
you know, you know, threaten to say he's going to have somebody call him out so he can go home. But I was so good at what I did that my supervisor, even if he did do stuff like that, my supervisors would always find somebody to come do his job because they knew I was, I was a better asset off of the line more so than I was on the line. So, but after a couple months, like it was, it was, it was just a, a respect thing. But I, I, other than that, I didn't really have a lot of difficult people that I had to deal with. Not, not on my team per se. That's really good. I, I know you mentioned the assembly line a lot. Did you like as a team leader, were you required to work assembly line before you got to your position? Yeah. So when I first started at Christ, oh, wait, your, uh, your volume just went out again. I don't think it could be my internet or this phone. I can't hear you. you say, okay. Now, uh, I think it might be the internet. Give me one second. Let me grab my phone and uh, I'll be right back. Can you hear me? You froze, Asher. I did. Hold on. Let, let me, um, and you're going to have a lot of editing. Give me one second. I'm figuring it out. I'll be okay. You hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. I was going to, you want me to just call in? Would that be easier on your end or you think we're okay? I think we're okay now. For some reason, it just froze up. But if it does it again, um, I can just let you call in and I can record it from my phone. Like, no, this should be, you know, sometimes mine works better when I got the video off too. Or did you want the video uh, on? Do you need it on? No, it's fine. I, I like your uh, your style. I think you're doing your keynote with the, uh, the red yeah. seats. Yeah, I was. <laughs> but, um, oh yeah, as I was saying, so when I initially got hired in, I was hired to work on the assembly line. And okay. um, I remember after like my first two days, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Like I, I literally told myself, I have to get off this line if I'm going to keep this job because it's, it's hard work. I mean, you're standing up for 10 hours, you get a couple mm-hmm. breaks in a 30 minute lunch, but like the line is constantly moving. Like it's, it's not an easy, easy working atmosphere, especially if you're not used to manual labor. And at that time, that was the first job I had ever had that consisted of manual labor. That's the only job I've had. That was manual labor. Um, so there was the opportunity to to sign up and be a team leader. The only requirements was that you had to have good attendance, which I had. You could have never been suspended. Um, and you had to have been in the company within 90 days. Now, historically, people don't become team leaders as fast as I did. Like, it's, it's literally something that, that normally takes a couple years for various reasons. And I remember even union stewards telling me, like, you're not going to get the position. Like, you don't, have, you don't have enough seniority. You don't have enough time. Even though the job wasn't completely based on seniority, it, would become, it, it only became a factor if, because um, you had to take a test and all this stuff, but it only became a factor if you and someone else ended up with, like, the exact same test scores and both of you passed interview portion. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't, I didn't listen to I'm one of those people, the worst thing you can do to me is tell me what I can't do. <laughs> they like, you're not going to win, you're not going to get it. Well, not win, because it wasn't a voting process. They're like, you're not going to get it. So, I obviously, um, I applied anyway, passed the right. test. I think I got, like, one wrong. It was all about, uh, what was the, I forgot the name of the the system that they were using. Um, and then I had... Just cut out. It might, I don't know if you're, it's showing up on my end that your internet's... Oh, I can't hear you. How about now? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay, so you, you just cut out when you were saying um, about the, the test and like just the comparison between when you're, what is it, like you signed up for it and, and basically it wasn't a thing about um, seniority unless you were neck and neck with somebody. Right, okay. So um, 
so yeah, they were telling me that that I wasn't going to get the position and all this other stuff. So I, I applied anyway, did really well on the test, did really well on the interview, um, and I was notified that I that I had won a team leader position. But it was in an area that I wasn't working in already, right. which means they had to move me over and get me trained. Um, the supervisor who was in that area was pissed because he wanted the person who was the temporary team leader on this on that team to keep the position, but the guy didn't pass the test. So I had to deal with, you know, that, that backlash. But yeah, it, it took me eight months, which is not, that's not normal there. People, it's, it's just not normal. But that, that eight months came about because of just like your drive to get it done and like your action to not only take and pass the test, but like you got, you got over them saying, hey, you're not going to do this or hey, you don't need to do this. You oh, yeah. Like, like I said, with, after, my, after my first week working on the line, I, I told myself, if I'm going to if I'm going to work here, I I can't work on the line. I got to figure out a way to get off the line. So my other plan was to start. If I didn't get the team leader job, was to start taking um, labor relations classes so that I could like work on the on the union side off of the floor. So maybe become a union steward or something like that. Yeah, I, I had it in my mind that I wasn't uh, that I wasn't staying on the floor though. Gotcha. So I guess what is where would you say that mindset kind of came from comes from for you because it seems like in everything that you do once you set your mind to it you're just like I'm gonna find a way like this isn't working out but if I have to be here I'm going to make it work. Oh wow that's a great question. I would say man that's a great. You know what Asher I I don't know if it feel if I was kind of born with it so to speak because. I, I can honestly say back to when I was a kid, um, anything that I seriously wanted to figure out how to be good at, or if I wanted to figure out how to do it, once I for real told myself, like, you're going to do this, I did it. My very first job, I was 12 years old, and I was a caddy. I worked at a private golf course in Detroit. My okay. first year Asher, I was the worst caddy in the clubhouse, like, legit the worst <laughs> i walked the slowest i knew nothing about golf i it like i wanted to quit but yeah. for some reason i was looking around and i saw like all, all the other and i i don't know I, it was just like but so by the end of the summer we, we had a banquet every year mm. after like the first month I, I had to feel i'm like okay i'm making money doing this but i was making like pennies compared to everybody else i'm talking about after four hours, I would make like $20 and everybody else was making like a hundred. Mm. Like at 12, 13 years old. So I'm like, damn, I really suck. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I did though. I'm, I'm laughing about it now, but I really did. Um, yeah. And I, I just didn't want to suck. <laughs> so right. I, I, told my, I told my mom, like, she, I was, I've always been an avid reader. So we went to the bookstore one day and I bought this, this book on like golf basics. Because okay. I noticed that, like, all the good caddies, even if they couldn't play golf, they knew about the game. So I started reading this book on, like, golf stuff, just so that, at the very least, I could figure out, like, what made sense. To turn, like, what wasn't I doing? And there were things I wasn't doing because I didn't know. Then I started watching the, the good caddies, like, what they would do to make sure they was always in front of their player. Mm-hmm. Before the player would hit the ball, they would put their bag on the shoulder. And as soon as the ball would get hit, they would just take off. Like, I was waiting until the ball got hit. Then I'm trying to pick up the bag. By that time, the player trying to hand me the golf club. Not with, not everybody about to fall over. It was, it was crazy. Um, 
So by the end of the, like I, I, was, I still suck, but by the end of the golf season, I ended up getting the most improved caddy award. So I'm like, all right, next year I, I told myself like I'm coming back and I'm, I'm about to kill it. <laughs> so the second year I was still average. The third year, I think I was like 14 and 15. Um, what did I do? So ninth grade, I actually signed up to be on the golf team in high school. Okay. Made the golf team and like we had a, I had a really great coach, and I and I ended up being a decent golfer. But that was also the year. So there were there were four four levels of caddy. There was the they called it a rookie, which was your first year. There was yep. intermediate. There was captain, honor, and then master. Five levels. Mm-hmm. Well, the third generally it, it takes you a year to get through every level, right? So the right. first year, I by the end of the first year, I did ended up. Uh, no, I was still a rookie after the first year. So the second year, I started off as intermediate. By the end of that summer, I became a captain, which is unheard of. But once again, it's like I made my mind up. Like, I don't, I don't want to suck. I don't want right. to suck. The year that I learned how to play golf, which was well, how I really, really learned, um, was ninth grade. I came back that year. I started off as captain. By the end of the summer, I became a master caddy in three years which was unheard of. Um, but that mindset is mm-hmm. I didn't want to suck. <laughs> I didn't want to suck, but not only that, I really had to really like immerse myself into that world. Like I literally was watching golf all day. Um, yeah. And then with me learning how to play the game, that was a, that was a game changer because most of the caddies couldn't play. They, they knew about the game, but they couldn't play. And even right. with that, the ninth, ninth grade year uh, for golf, there were two girls on the same team as me who were who were sweet. They was way sweeter than I was, and I ain't like that feeling. <laughs> so by the time I was a but so in eleventh grade, no ninth grade, it was two girls. They were the first and the second ranked players in the city. So mm-hmm. the next year came, I'm like, I'm not about to be less than that. <laughs> so tenth grade, I was the second ranked player. Eleventh right. to twelfth grade, I was the number one player two years in a row. It won. It's I don't know. It's just that. I, I don't like sucking. <laughs> I don't. And it's, it's funny that you asked me that question, like where that mindset come from. And, and I think, to be honest, I think it come from, came from my mom. Like I watched her uh, like make nothing out of something more than once. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that's where it does come from. I got, it's, I got so many stories of like where I just be, and I don't even, I don't ever think about the stories either. But once right, I make right. my mind up, like that's, that's it. I'm gonna figure it out, and it's the same way with this. Like right now, my thing is making fifteen thousand a month. I'm, I'm, oh, wow. I haven't figured it out yet, but yeah. that's where that's what I'm focused on. I guess I'll be talking to you offline about that because I'd like to do that. <laughs> but the uh, that's a that's an amazing response because that kind of gets me thinking. It's like, do you think? Um, and I guess I don't want to make this like too philosophical, but I'm trying to think of like interesting things to ask you to get to know you better as a mm-hmm. person, and also just to like understand who you are and be, like allow you to be able to tell your story to where whoever listens to this they can enjoy it and kind of reach out to you if they feel led to. But um, one thing I was gonna ask like how did you get into golfing at first is that a big thing in in uh, Detroit nope it was what so my mom had no wasn't it one of my friends in elementary school her mom uh was a teacher mm-hmm. yeah. to sign up it just I think it just froze up again can you hear me yeah I can hear you now okay so my friend's mom was taking her to go sign up 
And I just went with them and I signed them too. And it's so funny because she ended up quitting. She she didn't she didn't even make it through the first summer. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's what it was. <laughs> and so and just, that, just got exposed to it. Yeah, I, I really I, I, that, that's exactly what it was. I just got exposed to it, and that was like my first. Like we had to be there at six in the morning. So twelve, thirteen, fourteen, my entire teenage years. Every summer, I was waking up at. 5, 5.30 to be to work at 6 in the morning. Mm. So it's, that was a, a level of, you know, discipline. It, I was, that was my first time being exposed to real rich people. Um, mm-hmm. And then my last few years caddying, I actually worked for one specific guy who was a commercial real estate broker. Um, I actually interned for him one summer when I was at Michigan State. And that as well was my, when I was like, wow, people are really rich. He was, he was a white guy, but still, that was the first time I seen a Rolex. He had a mm-hmm. summer barbecue and he invited me to his home. The first time I've been in the house that had an elevator. Uh, the first time I had been around, like, that's when I knew that wealth was real. But to go hand in hand with that, you know, he was a white guy. But, mm-hmm. but he still had, I don't want to say he had struggles. Mm-hmm. He was a hard worker. Right. And he was the first person that told me um, any, I'll never forget this quote. I think I was like 15, 16 at the time when he told me anything worth doing won't be easy. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just like small stuff like that, that has continued, like small seeds, so to speak, that has just been planted in me over the years. Right. Really, really, really helped me to get where I am today. I mean, even my, my uncle, my uncle was an engineer for Ford. For 10 years and he quit cashed out his 401k and started his own construction business he was the very first entrepreneur i i'd ever been around in my life and he still is a, a huge inspiration um to me and, and everything that, that i've been able to do so far it's wow, amazing yeah it is isn't it? <laughs> so it's like so you went from you started golfing because you were exposed to it by a friend of yours and her mom went to sign her up so you just ended up signing up you kept with it is because you liked it or you just found that interest like initially in golf um i think i, I well for one i kept caddying because i knew i mean i could that at, as a 12 13 14 year old kid Mm-hmm. Um, it was really the only job I could get at the time. Mm-hmm. And not only that, um, what else did I really, that environment, like I liked being around rich people. Right, right. As <laughs> I, opposed I really to just being, being at home where it's like, it's not, it doesn't look as good. Right. I, I really did like being around um, rich people. And then I just made the decision to myself. I was like, well, if you're going to do this, you might as well be one of the best at it. And that's when I was like, okay. You're, you're in the environment. You know what's going on. Okay, let's, like, let's learn how to play the game. And then once again, when I decided to play, if you're going to play, you might as well try to be the best player. And, and that ended up happening. Um, I, did have I played it? I don't think I played at all this year. I played a couple times last year. I don't get to play as much as I, as much as I want to, but it's definitely something I want to get back into. Because I watch million-dollar deals go down on the golf course. I watch, you know, people – create relationships on the golf course like it's 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 really an amazing like stress relieving game and it's right. it's really a game of, of patience but um yeah i i do think i kind of have this this attitude that if i'm going to do it i'm i'm either going big or going home and even like with my agency now like at first i just told myself i just want to be a solopreneur i want to make ten thousand dollars a month man my business take care of my kids and now it's like, no, I want to create the number one email marketing writing agency in the world. So here we go. 
that's I like it. It's like you you're constantly pushing yourself to like you set a goal and then you like push past that goal just to be like no like I'm thinking too small. I need to go big so that at least if I shoot for the stars, I land on the moon. Absolutely. And I think I, I maybe got something confused earlier. You said when you signed up with your friend, you were uh, you and her were signing up for caddy, not for golf. Yeah, we were we were we were signing up to be caddies, and then I started playing golf uh, when I got in the ninth grade. Had never played before, but we had a golf team. And I was like, well, I'm a caddy, I might as well play. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Makes sense. That's pretty good. And then um, did golfing for you, did you take that on to college? So I tried out at Michigan State. I didn't make the team. Because, um, I mean, I was I was up against, I was going up against people who have been playing their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And I had only just started playing, you know, four or five years ago. I'm, I'm even looking back on that. That's another thing where if, if I would have known better, I probably would have invested um, in a coach to get me to the level where I needed to be to try mm-hmm. out again. But mm-hmm. once again, that's one of those sports where not saying that it, it, I couldn't have done it. That's one of those sports where you're literally going up against people who've been playing since they were like three. I guess that, that's a good point you make because it's like initially when you were talking about working on the assembly line, which comes after college, I'm guessing, but you just made a point where when you saw the level where you were at and maybe you didn't meet the standard of that level, you decided to walk away from that as opposed to doing what you were doing before where it's like, okay, like I'm not the best here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do everything to like become the best and beat them. But I guess that I feel like that's an important point and I'm not sure if you were trying to make that point, but it seems like you were able to distinguish like working hard versus working smart, knowing that, okay, like this is a tryout and it may not have gone in my favor, but like this isn't my lane per se right here. Did I just make that up or is that at all? Yeah, no, no, you're right. I don't, looking back on it, I don't really know what drove me to not push harder for it. And just just knowing me and the way I think and the way I go after things, it probably was something that deep down wasn't that important to me in terms of being able to play golf at the collegiate level. Like I never, I never ever once thought about like being a golf professional. So maybe that's why I didn't push harder um, towards it. I'm, I, I, I do believe there are certain things that like in my mind, I know I have to make happen one day. And I'll just give you a quick example. Like right now I am focused completely on like email marketing, um, copywriting and things of that nature. But in my mind, one day I'm going to complete a movie or television script that gets created. I have three scripts I've been working on for two years. And although they're not the priority right now, that's one thing that I'm not ever going to let it die mm. and it's, I'm actually was actually on the plane when I was on my way home looking at like what there's a, a film festival uh the African there's, there's a festival um every year that I didn't get a chance to go to this year um that's in Atlanta that I'm already in my mind it's like I I need to get there whether or not I have a script done or not like that that's the first step so there are certain things that I'm absolutely not going to not let happen. And some of the things that I feel like I may let go of, I don't want to say easily, but just move past are things that probably weren't that important to me um, 
to begin with. But I, I never thought about being a professional golf player. I never really thought about playing in college. I just thought that they had open tryouts. And I was like, I'm just going to go try out and see what happens. But when I was in high school, when I was in high school, I was like, I, I want to be the best player in the city. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't leave high school and say, I want to be the best player in the NCAA. Gotcha. That's a great point. Because initially, the whole thing for you to just get in there was just to become a better caddy or the best caddy you could be. Absolutely. Yep. That's exactly what it was. It was, yeah, like I I knew I knew another thing that was that was going to set me apart from the rest of the caddies was actually being a good player. So I'm like, okay, let me learn the game because I want to be the best caddy because being the best caddy means you make the most money, so to speak. So yeah, I, I never thought about that either. But yeah, that's that's what pushed me there. That's a great point, and I guess the uh, I may have to cut this a little bit short, but I definitely feel like we got to continue it. And I'm curious to ask about your um, like how you dropped out of school or dropped out of college. Mm-hmm. But, like, did you present it in a way? Well, can you give me like a, a brief synopsis of like what happened? Yeah, I'm gonna tell the story. Okay. So I got a obviously I'm a writer. So when I went to Michigan State, I um I went to school for journalism. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And this is to make a super long story short. <laughs> to make a super long story short, what happened was I was in the, the journalism um, program, uh, got caught up like being super busy. And I, I had a good GPA at the time, but I got caught up being super busy and I basically made up a story because I didn't have time to complete it. For whatever reason, this teacher actually decided to check my story out, which normally she, I mean, I had never done it before, but she, yeah. I, I know other people who did, and they never mm-hmm. got caught for whatever reason, she decided to, to, to check mine out, and I ended up failing, the, she failed the class because plagiarism, right, not supposed to plagiarize, which I get, and I had never done it before, but I literally, looking back, I wish I would have just not turned the project in versus trying to plagiarize it, but I wanted, I knew if I turned the project in and I did well, I was going to get a four, a, a in the class, which was gotcha. going to put me on the dean's list that semester. And I, had, mm-hmm. I hadn't made the dean's list yet. Gotcha. So I, I, I made up the story, plagiarized. Um, they kicked me out of the program uh, and I had to change my major. They didn't kick me out of school. They kicked me out of the program. I had to change my major to advertising. Okay. Once again, to make the story short, I never bounced back from being kicked out of the program. Um, I was depressed, like I felt like a super failure. I didn't I didn't put forth the right amount of effort in the advertising program. I probably could have done really well. Yeah. Then I ended up on academic probation. So I, I never really recovered from that, wasn't putting forth the right amount of effort. Um, they put me on academic probation, you know, came back off of academic probation, still didn't really do what I was supposed to do. And then the year that I really told my, I took a year off and then, the year I really told myself I was going to, you know, try again, I ended up getting pregnant with my oldest son. Um, so I had him, but still, even after that, I was like, I, I had the opportunity to still go back. And I was commuting from Detroit to Lansing, tried that, just didn't work. And then my mom passed away. And then it was just like, uh, maybe this is just not for me. And I, I just never... Even after I left Michigan State, I tried, I enrolled in the local community college down in Detroit. That didn't work out. But looking, looking all the way back on it and looking at all of my different experiences from, I don't really know what it was. Because my first two years, I did really well. I did well because I was focused. Right. I, and I think 
me getting kicked out of the journalism program and having to find a different major, um, I just wasn't interested no more. And that just took me down a, a rabbit hole. Looking back, I would have done a whole lot, a whole lot of things differently to really push myself to finish. But that is that it is what it is. <laughs> have you written anything on that for yourself personally, or just like to be able to get over the hump of like dropping out of school and then transitioning to where you are now? I'm not sure what kind of time frame that is, but being to where you've gone through a corporation, you worked on the union side, mm-hmm. now you're um, running your own um, agency and you're setting goals that, okay, this is what I'm, I want to do. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to figure it out. And you're back into that like focus mindset. Mm-hmm. Like what did you do to like get the switch to turn back on? I would say this, the switch was turned back on around 2015, 2016 when I joined Breathe University. When I started listening to, to ET again, that's, that's when it got turned back on. Because a lot of people don't know, he was actually my advisor for a, a brief minute in, while I was at Michigan State University. That's the first time I actually met E.T. before he's what everybody sees now. And I remember when The Secrets of Success came out and I was like, oh, this counselor Eric, <laughs> like he, he got a book now and all this other right. stuff. And then I, you know, slowly but surely was seeing everything he was doing. And when they, when they were doing the podcast initially, before they took the hiatus and brought it back, um, they had the join Breathe University for 50% off thing. And then I remember they had the, um, the boot camp at Michigan State. And at the, the boot camp was like $1,000. I for sure couldn't afford nothing like that at that time. Yeah. I wanted to go, but I just didn't have the money. But that was the week I joined Breathe University. And that, I'm, I'm not lying. I'm not just saying it because I know them. But that's, what, that's when the switch got turned back on in my life. It was the end of 2015, early 2016 and that's literally when everything started changing i've always had drive i've always read books but i never i was never i never saw i mean outside of my uncle and then when i was caddying i didn't have that environment that i got when i joined breathe university i I never had it and back then and breathe you like it was it was way more engaged than it is now and i think a, a lot of that is because a lot of the people who joined back then have now elevated to the point where they just don't have time to engage as much but yeah, right. join and breathe you started you know started going to the conferences um started really listening and applying the principles and the things he was saying um, got my spiritual life together. Like it, this, there's still been a lot that has happened over these three years. Um, yeah. It's all going to make for a good book one day. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I guess I've been thinking about how I got to where I'm at now because like myself, I've battled depression um, to some degree within the last, I'd say the last this year, like very heavily. And then it's kind of been sprinkled overall. And I think it almost went back to like my last year of college. I was like, I just figured it was one of those things you kind of just deal with. And it's something that comes up because I went to school in, uh, in Georgia and uh, I went to a small sister school first and I went to uh, Southern Poly, but now it's Kennesaw and I transferred to Georgia Tech. And and you hear about tech being like this big engineering school and how the expectations are so high. But then once you get there, you realize that it's it's like a 
shark infested waters like everybody like a good like some people are there everybody's kind of out for themselves but then other people especially transfer students we all sort of look out for each other and it's like oh, okay like hey where are you from like i've got this course and that course but regardless of whether um you're dealing with professors that are just over the top or overbearing like you get so caught up in like performing that sometimes you get lost in the mix and for me i, I found like et Eric Thomas, the hip hop preacher as well, um, towards the end of my senior year when I was going into that last year. And it really helped me restructure my life, like you were saying, where um, at least the videos before I got to Breed University was just like a refreshing sense of like purpose where it's like, okay, yeah, this video called You Matter. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, like I don't have to feel kind of worthless where the teachers is making you feel bad. Or I, I worked this job where I was a uh, technician. We'd go to paper mills and power plants and we'd do anywhere from like the temp job where you got to clean up um, the tanks or whatever it is that you're going to be inspecting. Usually you're inspecting welds and you've got to go there and do, um, I think you might be familiar with this having worked on an assembly line like they've got different testing methods some are with like a dye others are with um, a magnet and dust particles others are with uh, you're checking how thick the metal is but essentially with this we're working on call and we're making i think you start at like 11 dollars an hour and then you maybe get bumped to 13 and to put it into perspective or a lot of people doing internships in college some people get up to like double that like maybe 25 some people are making like 30 dollars an hour working for like fortune 500 company or like a big oil company that needs engineers people that are problem solvers to come there so like looking at looking back at when i did that I just felt so bad on myself to where like, am I wasting my life? Like this person's bragging about putting their feet up in the air conditioning. Mm -hmm. They're making $25 and I'm over here sweating or I'm freezing my butt off at like 20 degrees in South Georgia or over somewhere in South Carolina, just sitting here cleaning this thing, doing manual labor and just having somebody else like step in and kind of push me towards free university. They, they didn't even do that expressively. They just told me about like they watch motivational videos and um, it's, it's always funny because just talking to somebody else that's within review, it's like the story is very much the same. And um, I always have a hard time kind of describing what it is to somebody that's not in it. And like you said before, the formats kind of change. But like once you kind of got in it and you can connect with people on a personal level, it makes a big difference to where you might never even meet the person live face to face until like months or years down the road. But just from like that constant interaction that you guys have, it kind of creates this sense of belonging where you're like, okay, I'm home with people that care about me for one reason or another, but they just want to see you succeed. In life. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. It's awesome. Well, I think that's a good point for us to wrap up at. I definitely appreciate you uh, jumping on and allowing me to interview you and get to know you. No, no problem. So we'll definitely have to do this again, and uh, I want to hear some more of those stories. <laughs> it's, it's, it's real crazy. I, man, when I sit down and I think about a lot of the stuff that that, I, that I've had to, to go through to get here, and I'm still not, you know what I mean, where I want to be, like, on top of, like, getting divorced before, I, like, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to talk about that one if if you want. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm 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 open and willing to talk about anything. Cool. That's what's up. It's like that. That's the whole purpose of this. Is just like talking to real people and just seeing that despite what brands you see online, like there are real people behind those things. And before I forget, um, 
Do you want people to follow you on social media or anything like that? Uh, sure. Everything is, is my first and last name, at Sierra Say, which is C-I-E-R-R-A-S-E-A-Y. Thank you, Sierra. And until next time. All right. I'll be talking to you soon, Asher. Thanks.